We're going to win so much. We're going to win at every level. We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. So DJ Khaled had an inter- did an interview a couple years ago, and somehow the question got asked: Does he go down? Does he does he pro- provide oral pleasure for his wife? And he said, "Nah, he doesn't do that because he's the king, and 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 uh, the king should be should be spoiled, and the queen should be spoiled too, but like she should be spoiled. Like, do you like these clothes you're wearing? Do you like this food you're eating?" Do you like this house you're living in? Do you like this that I'm taking care of your family? Monetary um, treatment is what the the queen should receive and expect. But but for a man, he expects to be given oral pleasure. He just he doesn't do that. And they went round about round about it. But he basically at the end of it says like, Nah, this is not something I do. I don't do that because I'm the king. Because I'm the quote unquote the don. Yeah, I mean that's like frat culture that's like all boomer white men that's like is most that boomer men. yeah it's a, this is a thing wait this do is boomer like a, men not go down on women yeah there's a whole like two sopranos episodes about it like really it's, yeah, yeah actually yeah. the thing is this is like profoundly unremarkable dj Khaled is just like a regular dude yeah really? because regular yeah yeah it's i've never heard of that before i mean that's not true i have i have known women who have said that, uh, that they have gone long periods of time Dating men, not having uh, any oral sex, or right? Given to them, or, or at at very least, very minimal. Right, and it's because that's their normal experience. DJ Khaled is the standard person that they meet. They maybe don't refer to themselves as the king in public, right. but certainly among their like stupid frat bro friends. Sure. You. I don't understand that though. I don't, what's the downside of that? Um, there isn't. It's just called toxic masculinity. It's like no, no, this, no. I, I, this fear of being like subservient or giving or like really? you know in any way. Yeah, I yeah, think it's absolutely. as simple as that. Totally. I, that, I think that's it's, literally mind blowing, and I, and I don't even think that's mind blowing from the standpoint of like a progressive person, right? Oh, I meant to say fragile mus- masculinity, not to be confused with toxic masculinity. Right. It's, fr- it's that's probably brother. that's probably more accurate. Fragile but, masculinity, but like. A, 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 to me, like I, I'm, I can't even like wrap my head around this. That you wouldn't want to enjoy that aspect of lovemaking as well. Well, if you view human interactions as transactional, and um, okay, and you, you, and you can get away with getting something without giving, and all you think about is whether or not you get a net sure, gain in life. Sure, but even if you have that standpoint, even if that's your approach to it, do you not enjoy that also? Yeah. No, no, I mean, it's like you're missing the, the whole, what the whole thing I'm saying is like, you get a thing without having to do any work. No, I understand that. I understand that. But I'm just saying like giving, even if you're just thinking selfishly, just the hearing and seeing the reaction of your partner would in theory be a turn on, right? So wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want to get more turned Not on? Not if you're a selfish prick who doesn't get anything out of other people's pleasure. That's weird. Yeah. But it's also not weird. It's actually like yeah. painfully normal. Yeah. So, so on behalf of Tired of Winning, I'd like to send thoughts and prayers to DJ, DJ Khaled's wife, and um, <laughs> hopefully and to all the DJ Khaled's wives. And to there. all the DJ Khaled's wives in the world, we send our thoughts and prayers. Okay, oh, cool. Sophie got scared by the clap. Um, yeah, anyways, I'm I got scared of the make... clap too, guys. 
quote from Animal Farm? Um, it's like, God damn, all these animals all over my farm, man. <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> that might, that's the one I was thinking of. That's the one that's narrated by Samuel L. Jackson. The, the one that's like, like, things sure are fucking crazy on this animal farm. <laughs> no, I think it was something more like, I'm tired of all these motherfucking animals on my motherfucking farm. Samuel L. Jackson. It's from Snakes on a Plane. No, I, I know it's from Snakes on a Plane. I was, I was making a reference. Oh. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> All references from 2005 and before only. <laughs> hey guys, it's episode hey. 34 of the Tired of Winning podcast. Uh, I am Chris, coming to you from Austin, Texas, and we have Jason and Andrew from Los Angeles. Hola, mi amigos. It's not racist because he's Mexican. Yeah, it's not Mexican. <laughs> and today is our this special. This is why I want the show. Is our special Cinco de Mayo episode. We're all wearing sombreros and our Cinco <laughs> de Drinco T-shirts. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, uh, we all have we all have fake mustaches on. Celebrating Mexican Independence Day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, we're not doing any of those things. No, because all of that is true. We're it's super racist. Lies. Stop doing that. Um, wait. But it is, it is sequel to my Are we though. against racism now? I mean... I gotta, so like, I gotta know, change my people. Facebook in, like, bio now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like, most people, they, like, they're pretty into, like, the racism thing. But I think it's, like, pretty money to not do racism. Right. Really? Right. Huh. Yeah. That's like, edgy, how, bro. How... That's edgy. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> uh, I don't know if follow-up that, because it doesn't really work, but it's... <laughs> Um, I, I think it's even more money to just be racist against white people as long Dude, that is just, money. just to make it up just to make up for the time that white people are racist towards ethnic people and then we'll be square. So about 500 years or yeah. so. Yeah. Essentially I'm, the time. I'm not racist against all white people. I like you guys though. Just Anglos. Yeah. So, it's better if it's just behind the... So today is Cinco de Mayo and uh, if you guys are okay with it I, I thought that I might um, as the, the token brown person of the podcast... Uh, senior, uh, Latinx correspondent. <laughs> Not, I don't use the term Latinx. I don't use it. It's dumb. We're, we can do better. We can do better. I'm okay if you want to, like, degenderize Latin words. I'm fine with that. I'm, I can get on board with that. I just think we can do better than Latinx. What about just, like, UH? Like, Latino? <laughs> Latino. It's better. It's better. We'll work on it. It's a work in progress. Guys. Well, really, I have no horse in this race. Why don't you say Latin? Why don't you say Latin? Why do we have to add anything to it? Why why does it need a suffix at all? Well, because it's a uh, a fucking Latin word, and they that's and how then, that's how the language works. That's how the language works. <laughs> no, but I'm saying like okay, so we we want to remove Latino and Latina, and I understand that. And then the the the, the proposed word to replace it is Latinx. Well, why don't you say Latin? Well, because the the way you say Latin in the Latin languages is Latina, because it's I know but, lingua Latina. But you know, yeah, but you know what you don't do? You don't say Latinx in the language, and we're and people. That's are, are true. Proposing... That's actually that's a fair point. Like all the people that are saying Latinx are you know people that's fucking that are anglophones, right? Right. right. Because because the X sound in Spanish in uh-huh. every Latin language, like Italian, Portuguese, yeah. French, Romanian, doesn't make the X sound. No, that's English. Right. So I in think Latin, the saying... X sound is feminine. Right. So look, if you wanna if you wanna oh. degender 
I, I don't know. It's like really Bellatrix, like, gonna... meaning a female warrior, or uh, mm-hmm. Dominatrix. You know, those are uh, the X sound is is uh, is feminine. So basically, Latinx is just Latina, but right. So just more drop archaic. the O and make everything Latina. I'm fine with yeah. that. Let's just make everything in the Spanish language female uh, centric. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think it's I'll fine. be a Latina. I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, I mean, you've always wanted to be a Latina, anyway. <laughs> some on some level deep inside. <laughs> I'm definitely somewhere on the spectrum. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think that, as today is, is Cinco de Mayo, inevitably, I think people need this constant reminder yearly what not to do on Cinco de Mayo so as to not be racist. The, Part one, don't observe it. No. It's I, got nothing to do with no, any white people. No, actually, that's not true. That's not true. If you look at the history of Cinco de Mayo, it is not Mexican Independence Day. That's not true. That's in September. It is. Let's be says. It is the um, the battle in Pueblo, Mexico, Pueblo, Mexico, and it was the Mexicans kicking out the French who were trying to reestablish trade with the South, South, you know, in, in America during the Civil War. So actually, if you think about it's a busted it, busted ass move, France. Yeah. First off, they like rolled into Mexico, and Mexicans were like, "Yo, who you trying to get crazy with?" Ese, don't you know I'm local? It, but it was uh, Emperor Napoleon the Third, who is no- the worst of all Napoleons. The worst right. of all the Napoleons. He was like the the Donald Trump of Napoleons. Right. <laughs> but so if you think about it, in many ways, the the the, the Mexican victory over the French during Cinco de Mayo directly had an impact to the American Civil War. So more, like in Mexico, most places in Mexico don't celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Right, it is actually, if you think about it, more of an American It's more of an American, and it should really be um, Americans thinking in Mexico for helping keep the South from from regaining more power and and potentially even swinging the war in their favor. So then what you're saying is that putting on a mustache and a Cinco de Drinco t-shirt and getting drunk in the middle of the streets and yelling Happy Mexican Independence Day is, in a way, kind of like honoring your culture. No, no. <laughs> also, that's Jason. where I think we should, I think that's what we should talk about. So I think in a lot of ways, Cinco de Mayo should be America's thank you letter to Mexico. Mm. Because without their, without their, um, you know, being outnumbered and overthrowing the French, the Civil War may have gone the way of the South, and we may still have slavery, and we may still have a completely different culture than we have now. However, those are not the ways to celebrate it. So, for example, wearing a fake mustache on Cinco de Mayo, that's racist. Right, grow a real mustache. Grow a real one. Be a man, or a woman, whatever, I'm not judging. Really, though, don't grow a mustache. No, I... Fight, fight the mustache power. I like mustaches. I think it should grow. I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of bringing the mustache back. But don't just do it because you think, oh, all Mexicans have mustaches. That's racist. Also, also actually, yeah. it's mustache X. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so on this day where America should be thanking Mexico for keeping the South from winning the Civil War, do celebrate it. Enjoy the culture. But don't, don't make a mockery of it. And don't vote for a guy who's going to build a wall to keep Mexicans out when... Mexico is what helped keep America what it is today. Don't keep Mexico out, because Mexico is what kept America in. Very well stated, Whoa. my friend. Very well stated. <laughs> All right, guys. Now it's time for... Plausible Deniability. <laughs> so this is a new segment 
that we're doing where Jason has 60 seconds to... Um, how do you want to state this? What exactly is your intent on this? To make Just retractions? Slides. Yeah. Apologies? <laughs> or clarifications of problematic shit that Andrew and I have said this week. <laughs> All right, on your mark, get set, go. All right, so last week we were talking about music, and at the very end of the segment we talked about the impact that music had on your life, and Andrew laid out um, in no, uh, in a, quite some detail about his sort of position on the influence that rap and hip-hop might have had on him, mm-hmm. unchecked by the influence of punk rock, and that's his position, and that's fine. But unchecked, it sounds like we think as a group that hip-hop is somehow degenerate in a way that rock and roll is not. And I want to launch into a defense of hip-hop. Because this is a question of plausible deniability. Right. Regardless of what you intended, it's a matter of what you mostly see. the music's lame, though. I have 60 seconds. <laughs> so, Chuck D said that hip-hop is the CNN of the ghetto. And he was absolutely right, because you can't get a better insight into the, the life fake of news of the ghetto? <laughs> Just like just like rock and roll, it's got an underground and it's, Ten got, seconds. and it's got a mainstream. So if you don't like fucking Kanye West or Juvenile, if that's the last one you heard, go and listen to uh, Blue Scholars, go listen to Dead Press, go listen to Talib Kweli, or even Common. No, okay, so like so like you know we, we talked about ways that that not to how not to be racist in the celebration of Cinco de Mayo, but I actually don't think that the celebration of these holidays, even if they're even if the the original the, the original origin of these holidays is is maybe far off from what we celebrate now. I do think there is something to be said for for using these dates as um, uh, sort of symbols of a greater appreciation. So, for example, Cinco de Mayo really has is it's it's celebrated in a way that's just mostly based on selling beer and food, right? Yeah. And reinforcing stereotypes. But could it be an opportunity to take negative stereotypes of white people? I'm singing the Mayo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look around. All you see are white people making an absolute well, yeah. Maybe we'll mockery make... of themselves. But I do think it's it's great to have a day that we take a moment to, to recognize some of the contributions that a certain culture has had on America that we maybe take for granted every day. So this is Andrew's segment, Best Recognized. <laughs> yes, Best Recognized. <laughs> so, things that the Mexican culture has given us that maybe we just sort of take for granted every day. And I'm not going to go to the obvious, like tacos and you know, Mexican food in general, because I, we talk about that every episode, and that's a given. The mm-hmm. food that Mexico and Mexicans have provided us is is part of what makes America America. I would argue that the taco is more American than apple pie. It's an interesting way of not doing something. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I think that we should talk about right off the bat is contributions to labor movements in America, such as Cesar Chavez, who um, organized farm right farmers to ask for better working conditions in America, and especially as it relates to agriculture. Yeah, I mean, like, so there's a there's a way of talking about like the contribution of uh, Mexico and Mexican immigrants to the United States that it, I think is actually like super patronizing and awful, mm-hmm. and that kind of dominates liberal discourse because it's like. These are the people that do the jobs that nobody wants to do. Right. Without them, you would have to go and work in these terrible working conditions. Right, right which is a horrible way to look at um, it. And so the, the first thing I should say is like that is true. The other thing I'll say is that not a thing to celebrate. Right. The fact that, the fact that um, our neighbors south of the border, our immediate neighbors south of the border, but actually all of Central America, yeah. uh, 
is the source of cheap, easily exploitable labor is, uh, is not so much a contribution that Mexico is making to the United States so much as it is uh, just people having to survive. The contribution is accidental. People following the flow of capital being drained from their countries into the, into the United States is what that is. Right. Like, American businesses, American finances invested in, in Mexico, uh, profits are reaped and brought back to the United States and nominally invested in infrastructure, although they're really not, right? Until Mexico suffers and people have to come over in waves and waves and waves, and anybody would do it. What Cesar Chavez represents is the demand for some dignity, a demand for a stake in this culture that people are contributing to. And uh, he's a hero for a good reason, because of the, uh, the great boycott and the farm worker strike. And sort of set like new standards for how uh, people in easily exploitable positions yeah. can uh, defend themselves, and uh, part of that legacy is uh, I have like a I remember I was in a band and we were on tour in 2000, mm -hmm. uh, 2006, and the coalition of Immokalee workers in Florida had uh, put out an, an urge an appeal to the American population to not eat at Taco Bell and a number of other places because they had a tomato. Uh, strike and also because Taco Bell is fucking garbage. Well, speaking of Mexican Absolutely. culture, don't ever shut Taco Bell, right? But Taco Bell is eating at Taco Bell is racist, basically, is what I'm yeah. saying. But we are all vegan. The easiest place in the world to stop when you're in an unfamiliar place and you have a, just sure. a couple bucks to your name is to stop at Taco Bell, especially in the that... early 2000s, right? Yeah, where but there's like no fast food on the road that's vegan at all, with the sole exception of Taco Bell, yeah, yeah. But we honored that boycott. Um, because it, that's the way that you show solidarity with people who are striking. And um, I think if not for Cesar Chavez uh, and, the, and the UFW in a previous generation, that kind of wouldn't exist in the, the sort of mainstream understanding of how you can participate in helping other people make the world a better place. Absolutely. Honestly, the UFW but, you know. is my favorite wrestling league. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it carries on today, right? The discussion with DACA and and um, Mexican immigrants in America and their contribution is still a fight that's being fought out today. And I think that that really was brought to the forefront by that con the contribution of someone like Cesar Chavez and the organizations that he worked with. Word. <clears throat> I think, you know, another uh, area to look at is, for me, and, and for you, really for you as well now, Jason, is someone like Rod Rodriguez from San Antonio, who in a lot of ways has revolutionized the way filmmaking is approached today. And, it's not, and he's not really given credit for it. You know, in the early 90s, Robert Rodriguez made a film with $7,000 in Mexico, and he won, won at Sundance, and it launched a career for him. He also, um, in a lot of ways, revolutionized the use of digital cameras in a way that, that was better than even George Lucas did. You know, really embracing digital cameras and it's, digital technology. It sucks because, like, I, I, I know George Lucas has made, like, real contributions to film that are, like, unmistakable. Yeah and undeniable but i can't help but just associate him with the absolute worst of the industry well, i know well here's here's the funny thing you can go for you could be both the best and the worst he, in many, way, in many ways he was because um you know i i think we're we're an artist a director like a robert rodriguez really spearheaded this digital this technological advancement in film he was prompted by george lucas i think when george lucas did the first prequel uh phantom menace he enjoyed using the digital camera so much that he prompted um, Robert Rodriguez to start adopting it. And while we all hate the prequels, or at least the George Lucas prequels, I, I would like I would say that you know, who else made prequels? 
Well, Rogue One is a prequel. Yeah, kind of. Oh, shit, okay. You know, Solo, I haven't seen... I mean, jury's out on that one, but it is a prequel. I gotta say, I'm not excited about watching that fucking I, I'm, I'm indifferent. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna walk into it neutrally, and we'll see. But, I have tickets for opening night, because it's a Star Wars movie, and that's what I do, but yeah. I've got low expectations. I like Donald Glover a lot, and, I, and Lando Carazian is my favorite Star Wars character, so for that alone, I'm excited. I feel like he's gonna do that role justice. I think so. I yeah. think so. He's a good actor. But, you know, um, a lot of what we see in filmmaking today, the ability to move at the speed of thought, the ability to embrace technology to create without necessarily the need of lots and lots and lots of capital, these are all things that Robert Rodriguez was very, um, not only an important figurehead for, but really helped popularize through his 10-minute film schools and his DVDs and speaking to groups of people about how they could just be directors if they want to and stop waiting for the industry to allow them in. So if you're a creative person, I think that contribution is really important, and I think you probably uh, enjoy the benefits of that without maybe even thinking that a Mexican-American filmmaker is part of that that movement. Or uh, Antonio Romo, his contributions to American culture as well. Tony Romo doing his thing. First down, Dallas, unbelievable. Mm, the uh, the quarterback. I didn't even pick up with that at first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tony Romo, that's a great example. Antonio Romo, which by the way, that's another thing. Do you ever notice how they downplayed Tony Romo's Hispanic heritage in almost every instance that they showed him? Honestly, yeah, except like, for I, I sort of thought Tony Romo was a white dude. Well, well he, he is a white dude, but he's also, he's also of Mexican-American Mexican. American origin. He's from San Antonio. Yeah, it actually turns out that a whole bunch of people who have uh, Mexican uh, heritage and direct... I mean... There are white. There are white people in Mexico. It's the result of well, he, the he's, Spanish. Yeah, he's half. He, the his, Spanish. His, his mother, yeah, his mother was of German descent. His father was of Mexican descent. Yeah, the Mexicans killed the Mayans. No, the Spaniards banged the Mayans, turned them into Mexicans. Um, and then, and then, last but not least, I think that we can, from from for us personally, I think that we can't undervalue the contribution of Selena. You know, she's from our hometown. And she was one of those artists that was able to break through in a, in a really unique way. Because other Hispanic musicians had, had been able to break through into the mainstream, but oftentimes leaning really heavily on the Latin influence of the music, right? Like, right, like Carlos Santana, everybody knows who he is. Right, or like Richie Valens, for example, broke through, but he changed his last name, he downplayed his, his Mexican background. Isn't it, isn't it like Ricardo Valenzuela? I think so, yeah. Um, you know, and... It w and even the song La Bamba was in many ways anglicized in order to become popular, right? right? But it's like, you know, like Sammy Davis Jr. used to say about his role in uh, making it easier for the... He, well, he said it was like, I might take a few knocks uh, here and there, but it'll make it easier for the next guy, right? right? Richie Valens is somebody who really was a trailblazer. Right, absolutely. So you get, to, you get down the line to Selena, and she was able, before her tragic death, able to break through into the mainstream... <laughs> <laughs> without um without without anglicizing herself you know you right. see a lot of latin american especially the women they dye their hair blonde and again this is nothing wrong you do whatever you want with your parents but they dye their hair blonde you know they they soften their natural looks but vince um, neal does that too yeah. um yeah by so the way what's a... vince neal's real last name uh let's see uh 
Then there's that dude from Sugar Ray. His, well, I his real last name I think is Wharton, but his mom is her, his mom's last name is Ortiz. Okay. Oh, I was just yeah. talking about people who bleach their hair. So yeah. So you know. So underrepresented in this conversation. What, what you got with Selena and Guy Fieri. <laughs> and I think with Selena, what you get is someone who really represented this third generation Hispanic, which I'm a part of, where. Um, they're they're rooted in Mexican culture, or at least Mexican American culture, certainly South Texas culture, but maybe Spanish wasn't their first language, which was which was a relatively new phenomenon. A lot of second generation Hispanics didn't teach third generation Hispanics Spanish growing up, and therefore a lot of us never learned it or never learned it with any proficiency. Um, she sang Spanish music, so she was kind of there's there's a, there's a famous quote from um, in in the movie about her life. Where her father says to her, "You have to try extra hard. You're too Mexican for Americans, and you're too Americanized for Mexicans." And so, for her to be able to to get a fan base in both cultures and break through without with you know having a typical Latina body and a Latina style and Latina look and her clothing line, I think that's really important to where we're at now. Bucket. Okay, so we had previously mentioned that we wanted to talk about the contributions of Mexico to the United States and then all we did was talk about Mexican Americans who were mm-hmm. born in the United States and are actually Americans. Right, right. Right. So that is sort of a roundabout contribution of Mexico to the United States since at one point the United States conquered that land from Mexico. But what I'd actually like to talk about is contributions of Mexicans in Mexico to our culture, right? Absolutely. United States culture. Although I would argue that it's still Mexico. I don't. I don't acknowledge America's conquering of it, but carry on. I get. I get your point. That's what I say every time I get pulled over. It's like I don't acknowledge this law. Yeah. I I demand to be tried in a Mexican court. <laughs> Honestly, we should really be referring to ourselves as Texicans and yeah. saying that we don't recognize the uh, the joining of the United States to uh, the joining of Texas to the United States, and we're for Texican culture, which is uh, an amalgamation of. Um, white Americans that moved to Texas and Mexican culture. Well, it's funny when people ask. It's me totally idealistic and, and like not a, a accurate reflection of the reality on the ground at all. In the well, but just Texican like all chauvinism, right. Right. just like all chauvinism, it's idealistic and not representative of reality. But I'm, I'm a Tejano chauvinist. <laughs> well, here's yeah. the thing: like people always ask me, like I, I get to ask this a lot, like, oh, when did when did you guys come over? When did you come here? When did you come to America? And and I like to be like, we were always here. So you mean, when did America come to us? Yeah, because if you look back, like it's hard to say when, quote unquote, we came over. As far back as I can tell with my heritage, we've been in what is now South Texas for at least five or six generations. And if you know anything about the Texas history, there's been a lot of different conquering countries over that region. There have been six flags. Yeah. So, so really, when did you guys come to us? Yeah. Well, um, uh, we didn't come until like the 20th century, so we're we're very late arrivals. You know? We didn't come until the crumbling of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Right. Yeah. But so. you're right. But you're right, Chris. There are, there's contributions to America that aren't just you know I I named off a bunch of Mexican American um, artists and and figureheads who have contributed to America. But there's actually people who who lived in what is n- known as Mexico proper that have contributed to Mexico to America as well. Right. Like. Um, I'm gonna get into some nerd shit here. Sure. Talk about Pancho Villa. I love nerd shit. Because um, we typically only see a celebration of Pancho Villa in Mexican American mm-hmm. circles. You know, like a, you'll have a T-shirt with like Pancho Villa on it or whatever. Picture of him at a at a restaurant. But like at the time of the Mexican Revolution, 
um, Pancho Villa, Emiliano Zapata, uh, the whole Mexican revolutionary movement was like, uh, it's, it's almost difficult to imagine and comprehend how much of an impact it had on the American labor movement, on the IWW, the Socialist Party, um, and its reverberations were, go as far as Russia, and it's seen as like a wave of revolts. 1905 re revolution in Russia, 1910 revolution in Mexico, and it goes like it's like a, it's like a 10, 15 year period uh, where you have all of these major questions starting to be kind of like settled about how you confront uh, imperial powers and the comprador bourgeoisie in your own country, um, the question of the peasantry, which is it's like the major social question of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of direct exchange between Mexican revolutionaries and American revolutionaries, uh, not just in terms of correspondence, but directly back and forth across the border. With the United States uh, under uh, uh, the United States Army under General Pershing goes in to like do combat with Pancho Villa at the border. Part of it is to like stop you know raids on American property and to protect American property in Mexico. Part of it is to like put a hard line between these two communities which are interacting. Mexican workers and American workers. Right. In many ways, while we look down at um, Mexican culture and that American culture in, in general as being um, third world, second world, you know, we, we don't think about them as being very advanced. Did it? What? What? Weren't, weren't the Aztecs and the Mayans like very involved in science and? They were mathematics. But I'll back to, I'll back to that. I don't know. I mean, but that's the, also that's <clears throat> technically Amerindian. It's like pre-colonial. Sure. It's before there was such a thing as Mexico. But you know, um, it, which is actually where tacos come it, from. You know, the Aztecs invented tacos. I believe that. Fucking those crazy motherfucking Aztecs. <laughs> but like, you peace know, be upon it, their names. In a lot of ways, um, socially, politically, Latin America has at least aspired and made moves in a much more advanced way than America has. Oh yeah. Lots and lots of ways, especially in dealing with their capitalists. Right. And if only the United States would stop fucking around in its backyard, the whole world really could be a better place by just taking a cue from what people in Mexico and all over the Spanish-speaking southern part of, of this continent uh, have been trying to do. Absolutely. Like if, uh, if the United States hadn't like destroyed the uh, Chile and uh, the Argentine economy and... Um, you know, assassinated this guy, assassinated that guy, set the CIA to 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 foment revolution in this nation, like say the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, trying to overthrow them by funding radical right wing death squads. You know, yeah, the um, the, I mean, the Western Hemisphere could be a much better place. And wasn't it Mexico that that uh, provided shelter uh, for Trotsky when it, he fled? When that he fled was Lazaro Cardenas. It was his government. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So maybe uh, I don't know if this is a parting thought or what, but but. One more thought on the contribution of Mexicans uh, in Mexico and what they can do for uh, and the way in which their actions might have impact the United States in a positive way. I'm looking forward to um, what I hope will be the election of Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. I like his first name. Affectionately known in Mexico as AMLO. He is the uh, kind of like Bernie Sanders of Mexico. And if he becomes the president then, I mean, imagine the impact it could have culturally in this country to have Mexico being the ones teaching us how to do politics. But well, they kind of have most of most of our history. Yeah, they? But in a lot of ways, uh, lately in the negative. But, yeah. You know. But, you know, and here's another thing, um, and we haven't mentioned this. I, I do want to make sure we, we mention uh, Frida. 
Frida Kahlo as well. You know, not only as an artist, oh, yeah. not only as an artist, you know, in, in creating of art, but like as someone who has become very much a representative of gender fluidity, yeah, of uh, sexual revolution, of sexual empowerment amongst women. I think that that can't be underscored. Frida Kahlo was a, an amazing, like, not just political thinker, an artist, all the things that you said. And she did so with a physical impairment that uh, society would dictate, should take you off the table in terms right. of being like a great person. Right. So when we look back at all these different artists and political figures, I think that... And drummers. And especially drummers. I think we take this opportunity to, to celebrate, celebrate the contributions of Miklo Velka. Hey, we got something better than a rabbit's foot, Holmes. We got familia. Rasa way. So, from the award-winning director Jude, the Hollywood Hobro, Walco, and I am being forced against my will to say this Hollywood Hobro part <laughs> by Andrew, who is oppressing me. On this day, I'm allowed. He's playing. He's he's using his uh, one using... day of the year privilege. Yeah. To oppress a white person, dude. I have, I have, I have uh, uh, racial privilege today. Yeah, play that card all day. Seriously. Yeah, all yeah. day. Okay, when did cultural appropriation become a part of American culture? And is a certain amount of appropriation good for the growth of an overall melting pot culture? Mm, who wants to so, go first? I think. Oh. I think. Do you want to? I think I should leave first. That way, anything that gets uh, said after actually, me is okay. Yeah, yeah. You, I think that's right. I think you should it. go yeah. first. So, <laughs> so. Um, he, I, I think that it's there's it's probably always been a part of our culture on some level. I mean, we we have taken it's hard to it's hard to say. I think there's a there's there's this American um, fallacy that we've been this melting pot of cultures. And the reality is is like most imperial governments, we have stolen most of our culture and most of our uh, from other. We've stolen the items from lots of other cultures that yeah. we've oppressed. That's that's just sort of embedded in our history from the very, very beginning. This idea that we all came together and shared ideas, it's not really true. It's, it's an interesting definition of the word a, yeah, shared. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. we came to America and the Native Americans gave us their land. Well, no, that's not true. We took it from them and we killed them and slaughtered them. Um, that being said... Maybe you did. <laughs> I didn't. Well, my, ha half of my culture did. My grandpa... Your grandpa and all of their friends. Yeah. <laughs> they bleached out this continent, and that's not the end. Right. We want to get into Australia because we've, we've talked on that enough. So. <laughs> oh, you made that piece of shit floating in the Pacific buoyed by the blood of the Aborigine? Yeah. <laughs> so, as, but that being said, um, I do think that as uh, I'll speak only from my culture. I want to talk about other cultures. I do think that the celebration of certain foods, I think the celebration of music, I think the infusion of those types of things, those sort of cultural um, norms into American culture in a respectful way actually helps growth of art and music and cinema and you know progressive ideas, political ideas. So from that standpoint, I think that that's good. We should learn from one another. We should um, see things and, and value things and take them into ourselves to make our culture a better place. 
All right, well, I'll go next then. Yeah. Because this brings up a point. What you just said just brings up a point that I've been wanting to make is that uh, a lot of what people call a cultural appropriation uh, is cultural interchange, which has always existed. And I would say, when did cultural appropriation become part of American culture? I mean, you know, always. It always has been. It, 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 cultural appropriation, say like Rome conquering Greece, adopting the Greek gods, changing their names, mm-hmm. things like that. You know, that's, that is right there is a perfect example of cultural appropriation. Absolutely. Or the United States conquering Mexico and creating Taco Bell. Right. You know, that's cultural appropriation. Yeah. Um, however... Enjoying Mexican food, enjoying Tejano music, enjoying a mariachi, enjoying Robert Rodriguez films, you know, enjoying things that are Mexican, American or Mexican in nature and, uh, you know, making them part of your own personal culture. Like I grew up in South Texas. South Texas culture is Mexican-American culture. Yeah. I, I that it was always it was something that I was raised with. Mm-hmm. I I've eaten Mexican food my entire life like three quarters of the meals that I've eaten because that's the culture I grew up in. Right. Of course, I I grew up in a Czech family that Czech culture has always existed side by side in South Texas with with Mexican culture. Absolutely. And a perfect example of cultural interchange is Tejano music, which is Czech polka, Czech and German polka being played by Mexican-Americans. And right. having Mexican lyrics thrown in, if you look, if you listen to old school Tejano, it is essentially just polka with Mexican lyrics. You yeah, know? right. And it's <clears throat> awesome. Mexican American lyrics in Spanish, and that's awesome. That's great. Of course, Tejano has now evolved and has become its own its own separate genre with subgenres and everything like that. But that's a perfect example of cultural interchange. Another good example of cultural interchange is the kalachi <laughs> in in Texas, which has been spread all over the place. And a lot of people actually think that kolache is Mexican. They're like, oh, it's a Mexican pastry. It's like, no, it's a Czech yeah, pastry. Really. But it's fine yeah. that you think that, you know. Well, it's yeah. funny because if you think about it, um, we there, while, while, while individual cultures are real, I do think that... Are they real? I do think that like most things, there's a spectrum, right? So I, I feel like culturally, the three of us, although we are technically of different um, heritage descent is more aligned with each other. Like we share a culture. We share a culture that was built in South Texas. That's an infusion of, of Czech and German and Mexican and an an American. And it's all fused together in the world that we grew up with. We all, we all celebrated these cultures all blended into one. Yeah. You know, and I think for sure. And I think that there is this idea that I, 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 I could be wrong, but it feels like an Anglo driven idea to strictly separate out different cultural norms from one another, I think is racist, actually. It's a, it's a separate but equal mentality. Yeah. Like, Mexicans are over there, and white people are over here, and black people are over there. You can only celebrate the things that you that, that we define as yours and nothing else. Right. I, so this is, is that like reverse ethno-nationalism? Whoa. <laughs> um, no, so I do think, uh, yeah, I think it's... Uh, it, 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 Built upon the logic of racism, it's uh, that white supremacy is is a it's the sugar in the cake that is America, to put it uh, to to steal uh, a metaphor from somebody who is much smarter than me about things like this. Um, uh, so the idea that like the, the sort of self siloing 
is just the mirror image of the siloing or the ghettoization mm -hmm. of, of other people. Um, I think that the point uh, should be made that cultural appropriation is real. And I think we all sort of accept that this is like a useful category. It's a useful way of understanding uh, the actual appropriation of sort of cultural signifiers and of lexicon and whatever and calling it your own. Like the British think they invented tea, but they stole it from, from India. the Indians. <clears throat> right. And, uh, and, and yet, curry. Yeah, and curry, and actually a lot of what makes British cuisine uh, what it is, right? Right. And so you can point to that, and you're, you're right to say that's the result of colonization. Uh, it, it has white supremacy written all over it. And uh, then after that, it starts to get tricky. Like, there's a way in which you can approach this meaningfully, uh, uh, meaning well, and then I think tripping over uh, the, the simplicity of that real narrative, which is to say something like, uh, a British person can't drink tea. Right. right? And, and also, like, it's a weird mentality to think that cultures want to keep those things to themselves only. Right. There's a there's an odd, there's an a very conceivable reality, let's say an alternate timeline, where the British don't conquer India. And instead they acquire tea the way that the Chinese did, through trade. Right. Because the, the Chinese never conquered India. Right. And the Russians never conquered India. Right. The Russians conquered other people, right? But tea exists all over the world, right? So that's the difference between appropriation and exchange. Um, it's a it's sort of like there's a there's an instance that conservatives love to point to but is actually a valid instance to think of and that is the young girl that had her uh, Japanese themed birthday party because she's like super into Japanese culture right and having uh, white people in the United States jump down her throat saying that's cultural appropriation and then having Japanese people say that's beautiful and wonderful. And right. like actually having a lot of Japanese people say this, not yeah. just like a Japanese person. Well, say like it, I think you know? it comes down to simply respect, right? And, and um, admiration. I think that if you admire a culture, for example, I have a tattoo of a traditional Japanese um, art on my arm. And I'm not doing it to appropriate it. I'm not doing it to claim it. I love Japanese art. I think it's gorgeous. I think it's beautiful. And I want to celebrate it. I've, I, I have always been drawn towards that. Um, I think there's, I think there's a lot of different cultures that you can admire that might not be your own. And if you're, if you're honoring it in a respectful manner, I don't see what's wrong with that. In right. fact, I think it should be celebrated. I think other cultures should more often be celebrated and enjoyed and appreciated. Well, this is the, this is the point I was trying to walk to earlier is that, um, I think a really good example of exactly what you're saying is the music of the clash mm -hmm. where they, um, popularized reggae and dub and funk and hip-hop through what was essentially seen as like a white medium of like mm -hmm. four Br white british dudes playing rock and roll um, yeah and the way that they did it was by bringing in the artists from J or going to jamaica and recording a song with uh i mean there's like natty dread features prominently in the clash's reggae stuff mm, right and they um lyrically they they, they don't just credit the lyrics uh, in the liner notes, they don't just credit the style. They don't just even bring the artist into the recording studio with them. But then the themes of the music are also about the things that they don't take like a reggae beat and right. put it over like their own stuff. Right, it's right? much it's, it's, like, it's much different than Elvis taking um, Hound Dog from from Big Mama Thornton and anglicizing it and making right, it pop. Exactly. It's what they did was they uh, they did what people uh, to to use a, a a term on the left, which is very popular right now, which is like amplify voices. That's mm -hmm. exactly what the Clash did. Right, and I think that if you are in a position, you know, usually have privilege, where you have a megaphone, I think you should be obligated 
to shine a light on cultures that are underrepresented in a positive manner. So basically, if your last name doesn't end in an ek, keep them kolaches out your mouth. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Ni siquiera parpadear 